Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. week everything good yeah no i know over here in the uk you're sick of the weather it's cold it's rainy it's bleak people are walking around with their hats on and the scarves and you just want the sun to come out and for things to be a bit happier well look it's coming trust me but thank you so much for downloading and joining us it's always a treat to have you and your messages thanks so much for the lovely kind supportive messages uh, from last week's episode with Sean Dooley. Now, I, you know, I, this isn't Steve Wright's Radio 2 show. I don't read out all the lovely messages that you send. But I did get a, um, a message on social media saying, yeah, we love the episode, da-da-da. But what was really nice was to hear you two just sat down like old mates and having a natter. And that's the best review that we could get. Because, truth be told, that was the first time that myself and Sean had had really had a a big conversation and sat down. Um, And that's always what I wanted the podcast to be, very relaxed and unforced and natural, um, just like two mates in a cafe or down the pub. So thanks for that. This week is episode 36, and we are thrilled to be joined by Lone Lady. Uh, A little bit more of that in a second. Now, um... A while back, uh, Danny Lee, who's the senior curator at the BFI, got in touch with me and asked uh, if I'd join something that he's organising at the BFI. And I said yes when he told me what it was all about, so I thought I'd better tell you. Now, it's called Working Class Heroes. It's on Saturday, April the 14th, and... It's a look at working-class talent in front and behind the camera. It's going to be an amazing day. There's interviews, there's talks, there's panels. You can ask questions. Um, You know, I'll be there. Leslie Manville will be there. Maxine Peake, Johnny Harris, Danny Mays, Vicky McClaw, Frank Cottrell-Boyce. Who else? Who else? So many amazing people. Uh, Shaheen Baig, Des Hamilton. Um... And the great thing is that if you're under 25, you can get tickets for £3. There's also a multi-ticket offer. You can go to all four of the on-stage events, and that's six quid if you're under 25. And if you're not, if you're a bit older, don't worry. It's only a few quid extra. It's April the 14th. I really think you should get your tickets. Go to BFI, search Working Class Heroes, snap it up. It's going to be a brilliant day. I'm going to be there all day. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And it's time that we uh, celebrate and open the door for the new blood and the people that are finding it hard to break into the industry. And I know a lot of you, uh, well, I know that some of you listening to this uh, do find that. So get yourself down there. It's going to be brilliant and it'll be ace to see you. What else have I got to tell you? What next? Tickets for the Two Shot Podcast live with uh, Paddy Constantine and Dave Haslam. That's May 19th. That's selling out. Uh, you can go to get your app, your Dice FM app, 
and buy your tickets. It's going to be an amazing day. What else? 23rd of May. We're off to Bath, aren't we? You heard last week, we're at Bath Festivals with Charlie and Daisy May Cooper from... Ugh, it astounds me, week after week. Um, series 2 is so strong of this country. They are going to be there, and it's going to be a brilliant... Uh, I want to say day. It's not a day. It's going to be a brilliant hour. That's it. Uh, tickets for that are nine and eight pound. Get over to Bath Festival. Come see us. Okay. Now, this week, we are joined by Julie Campbell, aka Lone Lady. I'm sure you heard her music. Uh, I asked you to do a little bit of homework. Did you do it? Good gold star for you. And she told me uh, after we did the interview that this was the most in depth. Uh, Natter that she'd really done. Uh, she doesn't tend to do a lot, so we're really, really privileged to have her on the podcast. So let's get down to it. This is episode 36 of the Two Shot Podcast with Lone Lady. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Is it, you were born in Ashton under Lyme? Yes, yeah. And how long did you stay there for? Because you were brought up Well, in... not long, I mean, yeah, I was grew up in Audenshaw. Which is, because I know the north and Manchester mm. really well. Mm. No, no one's I, ever heard of Audenshaw. I don't, I don't know, so no. is it east? Yeah, it's five miles east of the city centre. And yeah. it's like part of Tameside, so it's part of like um, Hyde and Denton and yeah, all those kinds of places. And what was it like growing up there? Um, well... I just got sort of think it was really ordinary, you know, but I suppose, you know, define ordinary. But, you know, it was just a really nice... When I look back, because I've lived in the city centre since I was 18, I now look back on it and think it was actually quite rural, you know. There was, like, actual green stuff there, which, you know, <laughs> since I was 18, I have, you know don't see green stuff anymore. There's so. a little bit in Piccadilly Gardens and yeah, that's well, probably... Yeah, that's probably concreted that over by now. <laughs> yeah. Um so now, yeah, and almost when I went back, I I used to be almost quite shocked to see the Pennines so close. I was like, oh God, you know, what's that? So when I look back, I just I feel really grateful for having you know grown up near a field and a reservoir, you know. Yeah. So that was like I sort of described the reservoir as my own private sort of concrete beach. You know, I used to go and play there a lot, and so yeah, you know, just climbing trees, grazed knees, you know running around the fields, long summer days, that kind of thing, yeah. really, you know. Seemed to, like, time seemed to stretch, you know, a lot longer back then. It Nowadays, did. I sort of think, where did that year go? You know, I know, I thought I that, that last year. Yeah, it's part and parcel, I think, they're just getting older, isn't it? So I, I, do, I do sort of think back on Audenshaw in a, in a positive light. fond memories. You know, of, yeah, of childhood, of being yeah. a child, and, and that's actually... That sort of childhood sense of wonder is something that's kind of a big theme for me in in my music, and, and in a way, 
being a musician is a way to sort of not grow up, you know, and stay being a kid. So same as being an actor. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I just sort of hide in my studio and live in a sort of imaginary world, and don't really like it when I'm sort of forced out of there, you know. Especially nowadays. Do you feel Do you feel all right though when you're performing and you're on stage, even though? Yeah, that's a totally different prospect for me. I'm very much, um, I love being in the studio and I love, I mean, I, I, so I, my first love was fine art. Um, it was visual art. So I did, you know, got an art degree and as a kid I was always drawing and painting and stuff like that. And I sort of see music as coming from the same source, really. It's just painting with sound. Um, so I'm really happy just, you know, by just, myself, just making creating. music, recording, creating and, you know. So whenever I play live, I've got to say it's a bit of an ordeal for me. Do um, the nerves get to you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm just not one of these people that lives to be on stage, and it's one of the big sort of paradoxes of. You almost think, well, why are you, <laughs> why are you an artist? Why are you a musician then? Yeah, because it's such a big part of what you sort of have to do. And um, but you know, it's not like you're going on there to seek affirmation from those people. It's, I suppose you're you're just very happy with. It's a weird creating. thing. It's I I just it is, it's it's like because I'm not an actor. It's funny because like my most dreaded lesson at school was the um, was drama. Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hated it. What? It just made me. I was very shy. I think that again, that's another sort of paradox. You know, I was always very shy. So, um. Well, let's talk uh, about school. How, well, where was school? <laughs> Well, Ardenshaw County and, Primary School in Ardenshaw, right near the reservoir, and then Joylesden at, at Fairfield High School for Girls in Joylesden. And it was just down the street from Howard Donald of Take That. So can you imagine, he used to be swamped. <laughs> it's quite sweet, really. So that was funny. But yeah, it was, yeah, I loved school, you know. It was fine, particularly primary school, you know, just loved learning, loved reading. So you got you got on well academically. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. You weren't sho- shoving that away or anything. No, no, I kind of enjoy. I mean, you know, all the sort of arty subjects I absolutely loved. You know, English literature, art, things like that. Maths and science, I just did the minimum that was necessary. I thought yeah. it hot. You know, I thought maths and science were really soulless. You know, so. Well, in a way, they kind of are. Aren't yeah, they? yeah. But, um, so yeah, I loved that. Um, and what was growing up in your house like? Was it just you? Was it? Was no, I've got an old brother, Neil. He's a, a writer. He's had short stories published. Um, so where do you think this creativeness comes from? Because we I haven't even asked what your mum and dad do. Yeah, well, they I, there was not. I wouldn't say it was um, anything overt in the house that was obviously creative. I, th- I think creativity, you know, can take lots of different forms. Absolutely. But there was no. You know, there's no obvious art or music that I recall, you know, particularly. So I, I do sort of think it... I don't really know where it came from, and I quite like that. Yeah. Because it was... All I can remember, really, is lo- is loving. I'm sure it's maybe apocryphal or just not true, or my brain has made it up, but I'm sh- really sure on my first memory of being asked, what you want, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said I was an artist, and... I think I was three when I said that. But really? That, yeah, but that can't be true. Can no, it? I think we should go with that as a true story because that's really I am. lovely. Well, I think in we my stick mind, with that. it's true. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> well, as it should be. But you know, it's funny that 
when we think about ourselves as children or we look at other children, certainly, you know, from my point of view as an actor, they they do ask loads of questions. They don't take anything off on face value. Mm. But there's a, a freedom just to oh, play. Yeah, freedom, and it's yeah. And no, no judgment. Mm. But that thing of asking questions all the time to get to why, why, what's this? What's this? Yeah. I, I love that person. I think it's fantastic. And that's obviously what loads of actors and, and other artists trying to get back to being yeah, yeah. that way without that control. I, th- I think you are always trying to get back to that, really, because at the time maybe you don't realise what it is, you know. Um, I, t- I feel like it's something I can hold, hold on to yeah. in, inside myself yeah. and, and in the, the artwork that I do and, you know, the music or whatever. It's I, th- I think it's still there, you know defiantly holding on to that really um but yeah I think that that sort of shyness thing has always been there and a sort of a tendency to kind of go into my own world a bit which when you're then you know part part of being a musician is is to play live it is very difficult for me I mean I like physically I love playing the guitar and I love actually just standing in a room with other musicians playing my music, that's great, but just this whole thing of being on a stage and delivering a performance is something I'm still struggling with. And with the Hinterland tour toward the end, some of those stages were getting really big. Yeah. You know, like the uh, Brixton Academy supporting Hot Chip. Yeah, it's not a small space, is it? (laughs) And also, um, you know, a really massive one was supporting New Order in Castlefield. On a huge sort of and make, the, make the bowl, sure, yeah, the bowl, yeah, yeah, and you know, you're the support. You don't get much production, and so it was just, um, just you know, standing on this huge stage in sort of daylight in front of a sea of you know Mancunian New Order fans, sort of stood there <laughs> folding their arms <laughs> with their arms folded, just staring at me like, as if yeah. to say, "Go on then." What you got? Yeah, yeah. go on then. <laughs> you know, but we did a really good gig. It was really good. I heard. Um, do you so find... yeah, I, yeah. It was just that. Yeah, it's it's hard because I don't act. I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. So it's kind of it's real. So instead, so you just have to kind of go through it for real every single time. Because it's funny because some certainly from a musician's point of view and well from an audience point of view, yeah. Some musicians on stage kind of sometimes cut the audience off mm. even though they're there on stage and yeah. some of them are completely inclusive of the audience and want them all to join yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So are you finding <laughs> that you... I mean, naturally, not that you would cut them off, but I suppose... Yeah, so I, I would love to... I sort of feel like I'm absolutely giving people everything and I couldn't be more exposed. I feel like I'm just laying myself out on a anvil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. To be, you know... And then the music is, I, I write all the music, so I write all, all the parts, even though there's a band there, they're playing part the parts that I've written. So I'm giving people everything, you know, everything that I can. And if I do get, you know, why people want a little bit more, you know, they want a bit of communication in between the songs sometimes, but... When I've figured out what to say, I will say it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say, hey, Bristol, how you doing? Yeah, I'm you not going to say that. You can't put you know. on a persona, can you? Just, you know, I'm not going to say that. So I don't, 
I'm too shy, really. That's that's the that's the reality. I'm too shy. So I'll, I'll find a way one day and say but something. But you have to find, you know, that's your thing. You have to find your mm. path. It's not. It's not that. It's not like I don't want to. I'm cutting them off for it, you know. And to be honest, it's it, it's really massively moving that anyone comes to a gig or that anyone buys a record. That means so much to me, more yeah. than a review or something. Yeah. Whilst it's obviously, I totally appreciate what reviews can do for you in a sort of practical way. But if someone's physically... Well, you know, when someone comes up to you after a gig and, and it, it, they really they really mean it, I mean, that's that's what I'm doing it for, you know. I'm doing it for myself, but, I'm, you know, I'm also doing it to make that sort of connection and... You know, if for some to for my music to have meaning to anyone else is is incredible. So it's not that I'm a, <laughs> aloof on stage. I just don't know what to say. No, I, I wouldn't say you're aloof on stage at all. Mm, good. And it doesn't. I wouldn't. You know, I don't think it ever comes across like that because I've seen either aloofness, if that's a word, on stage, yeah. but also I've seen artists who couldn't really give a flying fuck. Yeah. They're, they're obviously just... Mm, dialing it in, whatever you Dialing it in, yeah. they can't be bothered or it's the end of the tour. Mm. And I suppose you you can't really do that to those people who are physically going out and, and buying a record or downloading or they or, or but have bought a ticket. No, it's I mean, not... I can on, really honestly say, you know, playing live, I've never, ever done it in a half-hearted way, ever, because it's too difficult, no. But you don't strike me as someone who could... Who could give a half arse performance? No, I'm never complacent about these things. If anything, I need to chill out a bit more, really. I mean, I, I distinctly remember when I was we were playing that New Order gig. I was on this massive stage, and the other musicians, they're mile, I look over, and they're miles away from me. Normally, they're quite near, because yeah. the stages are getting a bit bigger. I mean, I felt so isolated. And I even as I'm playing guitar, and some quite complicated parts on the guitar, I distinctly remember thinking... I can't do this. I can't fill this stage. And I sort of really understood why bands change when they get bigger because you physically feel like you need to be doing more because the stage <laughs> is bigger. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's any danger of me, you know, you know, using props or mad costumes. There's no danger of that. But no. there is a sense of, like, how do you fill this stage, you know? I just I remember that thought with clarity, you know, as the gig was happening, thinking uh, that, I just, right at that moment, right, as I'm literally stood there playing guitar to a sea of New Order fans, God. I actually thought I can't do this. That's like a real out of body. Experience. It was, it was. I was like, I did. It was like I, you know, I was step, stepped outside of myself. Because that happens um, sometimes with actors when you're on the stage and you're, oh, you'll be speaking lines, nightmare. and then all of a sudden something happens, or and you come outside of yourself and you go. These words are just flowing out of my mouth. Yeah, I get that a lot. I really don't know what the next word that, is. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awful. Because I think, at least with being a musician, you've got a muscle memory. Mm. So even when you suddenly become deep, you become unfocused and a bit have an out of body experience. Yeah. At least your your hands carry on playing the guitar. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Quite lucky in that sense. So when just talking about the guitar, when when did you? When did that come along into your life? Uh, I think it was about 15. I bought, or oh, my mum probably bought a guitar off Ashton Market. Like, right. And it was 10 quid. And it was the most knackered, horrible, 
beast of a guitar that you could ever imagine and the strings were miles away from the fret which means it was just a really harsh you know way to start learning the guitar because it just really hurt my fingertips you know and then I just bought a book uh, taught myself the chords and that was it really you just carry on teaching yourself yeah 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 I've never had a lesson I don't really get that really I mean each to their own but you know it never occurred to me to go and get a lesson and you know I think it's learning simple chords on a guitar it's quite easy really you just need a bit of concentration and practice but, yeah just but yeah I loved it um, I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to remember some of the songs from that first book were things like Mull of Kintyre and the classics. <laughs> just really awful songs, you know. That I learned to play. Mm. I suppose you've got to go through that to get to. Yeah, I mean that feels like a long time ago now, but yeah, I think yeah, I guess I just carried on and then started writing really terrible songs, and then at some point the songs got better, you know. And when did? When did you decide? I just need to go back a bit because mm. after school, did you just? De- when did you decide to go and do a fine art degree? Well, yeah, after school, went to college uh, in Hume, Loretto College in Hume, and then. And what were you studying at, at college? Uh, art, English, and music. So, were the art and the music both sort of in tandem with the passion of yours, or did you sort of go? Well, if I do one, I've got one to fall back on as a career. No, or was it, how no, did it work it wasn't, out? It wasn't that clear cut, really. It was just, I just sort of love art in all its forms. So, you know, reading, I was really into writing poetry as well. Um, and at 18, I started cello lessons, as you do. Yeah. You know, it's a really late, you know, time to start, you know, that kind of instrument. Why, why were you drawn to the cello? Uh, I just started listening to classical music on the radio and I heard it one day. I thought, oh, God, what's that? I want to do that. I was, that's what I was like when I was younger. I was just very like, I want to do that. Oh, what's that? I'll do that. But I think just that... wanted to do everything. I wanted to play every instrument. I just that's what to... kids yeah, yeah, should do yeah, and they yeah. should be encouraged to go, you can do anything. Yeah, There's absolutely. every door's open. I mean, I went. it was like really cheap lessons, Man- Manchester Music Service, you know. Amazing teacher called David Wainwright. Um, just loved it, yeah. Loved, and I learned how to read music. And when I was a kid, I just thought that was like a magical power, like a yeah. superpower. So, so I thought, oh, I want to learn to read music. So, so I did. You just did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I tried to learn to read music. It was I just couldn't. My brain could not get yeah. around it. It was like a maths equation to me. I think I was just a bit of a sponge then, you know, for anything artistic, you know, soaked it all up. Um, but you probably still are, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Just feels different, though, now. Um, Do you think because the stakes have got higher? I just, I think at some point, um, I was d- sort of doing everything and it sort of did get to a point after, uh, during my art degree that uh, um, I sort of became aware that of making a choice, you know, that that probably because I was quite seriously writing poetry and you know and getting published in little you know uh, collect you know little zines and things and I thought I remember thinking do I want to spend the rest of my life in like sitting in a silent room writing poetry and I thought no I really don't so I do I remember thinking that so in a way I sort of chose music because at least the sound would you know 
keep me company or yeah. something, do you know what I mean? So, so you go from not writing poetry by yourself in a small room to writing music. Right, I'm still, but yeah, I'm still sat in a room by myself, but at least there's, you know, the racket of a drum machine to keep you company yeah, or whatever. Of course. So, um, so yeah, it did, it did feel like at some point a, a path emerged and then I think looking back, I did do sort of quite well with the, with Lone Lady music from the start really, you know, and it, I mean, it's a long, slow, kind of gradual build-up, you know. It's not like I achieved, you know, overnight fame or anything no. like that. Obviously, I'm, you know, well, that, I'm not, but, you know. It never, never happens, does it, really? <laughs> um, Do you remember where you were when you wrote your first song? Well, probably in my bedroom in Audenshaw. Did, but... did it stem from a poem or anything, or was it oh, something God, that was organic? Oh, God, I can't remember. I, no, I don't know. It's probably just some awful, dreadful... Just messing about. Yeah, just messing about. But um, I think a, a real sort of catalyst for me was buying a, a Tascam four-track recorder. Um, Explain. I have no idea. Yeah, just... that's basically, it's just like a, like a machine you put a cassette into, but you can record four lines of music onto it. Okay. So you can, you know, you can build up a bit of a, you know, a, a track, basically, quite a... Full. sort of flesh it out type yeah of thing. basically right. yeah so you um, bought one of those yeah um and that was a real sort of yeah it was a catalyst it was like right i really like recording i really like mixing i really like using like studio tools to build i don't you know it's more like a song is more than just oh here's some chords and lyrics it's it's what you do with it in the studio it's the statement you make with it in the studio and I really love um using the studio as a tool really so mixing and production you know I really I think those are just really creative tools was was this all these tools that you say were this something that you taught yourself how to use or Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah I mean I just I mean you know I think I've come I think I've come a fair long way from the four-track recorder. Um, so my studio is, keeps expanding. But so yeah, I've just uh, been taking, you know, taking on new skills, and it's it's, it's just to have your own professional studio is an epic thing, though, and yeah. it's a very expensive thing. And my studio is pretty far from being the kind like like the kind of professional studio that you would ex- you know that you might expect. But it's definitely grown from those early, you know, from those early days of just bits and bobs, really. But that's how I sort of made the first two albums, really, and EPs before that, just on a really minimal lo-fi equipment, and that definitely um, um, informed my aesthetic and the sound. I like things sounding a bit rough around the edges. I don't really like polished production. Yeah. For me, it's right for other people thing, and other musics but like my have, own thing I just I sort of always want things to sound a bit like it's been done on a four track cassette you know because that's where you started yeah yeah, yeah. and um, when you are writing what's a when a typical sort of day do you set times to write or I just to be honest just I just go in like pretty much every day you know five days six days a week um and I I think that often for me it does start with a beat. You know, I do. I love drum machines. I love rhythm, and it just as always. I think that's where 
because uh, you know the drum machine it never sort of stops or slows down or it never wants to go for a coffee it just yeah. carries on it doesn't want to get distracted no it just forces you to keep playing and playing and playing along to it and I used to do that I used to just play the guitar along to a drum machine for like literally hours straight until my hands were hurting you know I used to do that wow yeah which is a really good way to develop riffs. So riffs would come emerge from that, you know, and when I felt like something was happening, I'd just hit the record button and then go back at a later date and just, you know, construct the song from that. Um, How do you know when something's happening? Is it just a feeling? Yeah, or... It just sounds good, you know. <laughs> you know <laughs> I just like the sound like, of it. Yeah, really, it's yeah. just that, that'll do. That's good, that works. Um, but it, the last sort of... S- 18 months or so that I've been in Somerset House Studios, I've kind of pushed my studio on to the sort of next stage, really, because I don't really like to repeat myself. I like to keep evolving. So I've acquired a a bunch of new equipment and I've been working kind of pretty extensively with them, hardware, uh, sequencer. So just really that sort of love of rhythm, taking that to the next step, really, and using sequences and... Um, I'm lucky enough to have been lent an analog synth and um, I've got my own analog synth now after years of wanting one, you know, (laughs) managed to get one. So, yeah, it's taken a, it's been a different set of processes over the past sort of 12 months or so, much more electronic oriented. Yeah. And do you, with your work, or certainly you as an artist and with what you do, do you feel a great, a great sense of control? Because in other ter- in other forms, you've got other people opening these doors or saying, yes, you can do that, or yes, you'll be accepted here. Whereas, you, you know, for you, you can get up in the morning and switch that drum machine on and write mm. a song. Yeah. I, I just I honestly never, never occurred to me to do it any other way, really. It kind of goes back to, you know, how I used to spend all my time drawing you know, you don't draw with somebody else, do no. you? Not really. Um, so I, I sort of approached music the same way. I don't. I just like building my own worlds. Really, I don't. I hate collaborating. Dear, <laughs> yeah. have you been approached to ever collaborate? Yeah, I mean, it's it just feels like everyone loves that idea, you know. But I'm just like, well, you know, I've always loved I would think these be... these kinds of people who, you know these kind of lone people who, you know, like seal themselves away and then they come out with this amazing thing and it's like, wow, how did you do that? You know, I, that really appeals to me, that sort of, you know, hermetic thing, you know. Yeah. I, it's just exciting and interesting and not that I'm saying that I, I am particularly, but I, it's something that is a sort of but you have to real do magical you. thrill, you know, to, to the idea of someone just... C- doing something all by themselves, you know. So collaboration is just just something that makes me groan every time I see the word, to be honest. But I would have thought, I would have thought that that would be even harder because you've got to deal with somebody else's taste. That I, I, just, you, I actually don't know how to do it. No. I don't want to sort of, actually, I don't want to sort of put off any prospective future, you know, <laughs> opportunities here because, you know, when it is the right person and you find a way in which it will work for you, then obviously that can be brilliant. But generally speaking, no, it's it's not something that interests me. Because I've got so many songs myself that I've not finished. 
Does that happen a lot? Like yeah, you start yeah, a stockpile. You know, I've got so many unfinished songs stockpiled. It's so frustrating because you know it's because I play all the instruments and do I just do everything. So it takes quite a long time. If you think there's normally maybe four band members, it takes me four times as long. Yeah. So, well, that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember when you first decided to get up on stage and perform a song? Uh, I'm trying to remember where it was. I don't know. I don't. I, well, it will have been yeah, sort of early gigging experiences. But, was your heart going like the clappers? Well, it, yeah, it will have been. I don't think it will have ever changed, to be honest. Although, do, you, do you still get nervous, though? And, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I, th- I think over the... You know, I was pleased with the last tour with Hinterland because I, I do think it, you know, particularly... I think it ran pretty well. It was quite a well-oiled machine and I do get, you know, satisfaction out of it being like a SWAT team, you know. Yeah. You know, you're efficient, you know. Um, but... Yeah, there are skills that you learn, you know, and I think a sort of my 20-year-old self would probably be quite impressed with the sort of way in which I was doing things now, you know. It's hard to explain, really. It's just skills that you pick up, you know. I suppose you have to because you're doing it all by yourself. But obviously on the tour and when you're recording, you've got, have you got, other, you've got other musicians, though, haven't you, within your band? When we play live? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how did you pick those people? Um, well... I mean, the you know the Manchester music scene's pretty small, really. So it's just people like very, very capable musicians. I was lucky. I was really lucky to be able to just sort of cherry pick, really, just people that not only I thought were technically capable, but people I thought I could stand being in a van with for a year. Yeah. You know, so I was really lucky to be able to do that, and also people who would be happy to play my parts and have no you know, writing input at all, you know, which isn't to say that, you know, they absolutely do bring, you know, a a vibe to it that if someone else was doing it, it would be different, you know. But So, yeah, there's quite a few things to consider when you're, you know, a sort of lone lady live touring musician. Um, So, yeah, so that's um, Tom, Liam and Gareth, just to name check them. So thanks for doing that. yeah, but I, I have no idea with the next record. It could all change. I really don't know. Because it's not... Like, I used to play live just me and a drum machine. <laughs> that was it, me yeah. and a guitar and a drum machine. Um, and then it was a two-piece for a while. Um, Andrew was a drummer for a really long time. Um, and then it expanded to a three-piece, and then Hinterland was a four-piece. So it does it does change. I suppose it just keeps evolving, though, because yeah, you keep yeah. growing and finding new skills mm, and what you yeah. want to do. And I suppose if it's going to carry on like that, then you're going to keep being happy and never stopping, really. I hope so, yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, do you envisage that this is going to carry on and carry on for you as an artist? Oh, God, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, it, you know, the next record does even better than Hinterland, you know, it's, we'll see. I'm sure it will. <laughs> Better you? finish it yet first, though, I guess, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, bloody get cracking what you're doing talking to me yeah, for. Yeah, no, bloody hell. Julie, thanks so much for coming and having thanks a chat. Thanks for having me. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> 
another episode is done. Huge thank you to Julie for coming on. I don't know if she'll be listening. I know that that was quite a big deal for her to to do that and sit down and be open and honest, Um, considering she doesn't do loads of interviews. So, yeah, we're really honoured that uh, she said yes and she came on. And the great thing about Julie as an artist, and I think, you know, the word artist does get banded about a a bit too much, but I, I really believe that she is, because, you know, she's very proud of her work, Uh, But she's thorough and she does things on her own terms. And that's to be applauded. Um, Yeah, that's that. So look, I'm going to go. Have a brilliant week. And I shall see you next week for episode 37. And I think I'm right in saying it's another cracker. No, it it really is, actually. If, if, If it's the episode that I think it is, I don't know. We haven't quite worked it out. But look, until next time, I've been Greg Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Have a brilliant week. Stay safe. Take care. Cheers. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.